0: Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 7, 1 through 35, and then the text starts at verse 36 through 50. So we're reading together the entire chapter. We read here God's Word, and we're reading here about Jesus Christ. Now, when he concluded all his saying in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, And a certain centurion servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was worthy, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these sayings, marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people." And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the one, the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In that very hour, he cured many people of their infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many who were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed, he began he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, and when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him, and the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like??" They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. And here starts our text. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this? who even forgives sins. Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps on, on reading our text, you thought to yourself, it's a fairly long passage. It's a fairly long text for a gospel writer like Luke or any of the four gospel writers. But that tips us off right away to the fact that probably something really important is being relayed to us in this passage. It takes time to spell it out. We have three people in this passage, and, and each one of them is famous. The first one is obviously the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We see that earlier in the passage he had raised the dead son of a widow. And when he did that, the people responded in verses 16 and 17 that fear came upon all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people and this report about him went through all Judea and the surrounding region. So Jesus' reputation as a prophet and a miracle worker was spreading like wildfire through the land. The second important person is the Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee. Pharisees were well known as men who tried to get all the people to obey God's law rigidly, and they even made up more laws by this you would earn your salvation. So, so, so these Pharisees were Quite high up in society, they were feared, they were respected, and sadly, they were feared in a very negative way, as we'll see in our sermon. The third person, we don't know her name, but she's described in verse 37 as a woman in the city who was a sinner. She generally understood she was a prostitute. She sold her body, she gave sex for money. Now, we don't know that for 100%. She, she could have, for instance, been a collaborator with the Romans, assisting them and collecting tax collectors, but that would make her even more feared and hated than a prostitute. The point is, she was famous for all the wrong reasons. I think it's probably well understood that we are dealing here with a, a woman who was a, a prostitute, a very sinful person. So we have these three people. Two of them are residents of the town of Nahum, the Pharisee, and the prostitute. And when Jesus comes, he interacts with both of them. And they react in very different ways. And as we look at that in our sermon, we'll realize that ultimately it comes down to us. How do we react to Jesus? What does he mean to us? Who is he to us? Do we love him? Do we adore him? Do we thank him for the great debt that he has cleared in our lives? We summarize our, our text in this way, which one will love most? And we'll look at Jesus and the sinful woman, Jesus and Simon the Pharisee, Jesus and all the rest of us. In our first point, we're dealing with Jesus uh, and the sinful Woman when we meet her, she's already crying. It seems like she's crying throughout the entire passage, and she is crying a river of tears. Pretty quickly, we figure out why she's crying, and there's two reasons for it: in the first place, it's because of her sins. she's weeping for the shameful things that she has done in her life, but secondly, there's joy. And hope they are the tears of joy because she knows that Jesus Christ will wash away her sins, make her clean, and turn her to be his bride. This woman wants her former way of life to end. She wants to be a, a new person in Jesus Christ. And what's important to see is that she, she surrenders her life entirely to Jesus Christ. She's done with her old ways. She comes to Jesus. She loves Jesus. She has faith in Jesus. She experiences Jesus. She experiences what it is to be washed in his blood and in his spirit. And we'll see that unfold in our text. Our text begins with Jesus being invited to dinner at the home of Simon the Pharisee. It's quite an invitation, because when a Pharisee had a, had a party, it was a, the, the who's who of society, the rich and the powerful and the famous, and Jesus is invited to that. It's quite a compliment. It'd be like uh, my local member of parliament giving me a call and saying, I'm having dinner at my place, a bunch of MPs will be there, and business people in the town. You're a local minister, we want you there too. Well, that'd be great, but it's not going to happen. Because I'm not a very important person, but the Lord Jesus clearly was becoming a very important person, he is something of a celebrity. We read in verse 36, literally in the Greek, that Jesus and, and all the other guests reclined at table. I'm sure you've had this described to you before, but the way they ate in those days, the table was was round, very low. And there was a couch all the way around the table. So you'd come up to the end of the couch and crawl on it. And you'd lean on your left arm, eat with your right, and you could could eat the food on the table and you could talk to everybody there. So it was a beautiful social experience. But your feet were dangling off the end of the couch. That gave the sinful woman an opportunity to come up behind Jesus. And she is crying, a river of tears. Can you imagine crying over the feet of Jesus to the point that they were soaking wet and then she undoes her hair and starts starts to weep starts to wipe the feet dry and clean, and she kisses his feet, repeatedly kisses his feet and anoints it with this fragrant oil. Now we gather from something that Jesus says later on in the passage that his feet really could use a good cleaning. I mean, those days, people walked with open sandals on dusty roads, and who knew what kind of doo-doo you'd step in on the way, so your feet were pretty stinky and dirty by the end of the day. Who wants to have a, a really nice meal when your feet stink? Well, this woman didn't mind how stinky his feet were. She washed them with her tears and her hair, she kissed his feet, she anointed them with oil, knowing not only that she loved this man, but she knew in her heart that this man, this Jesus, would not reject her. Had she done that to Simon the Pharisee, he probably would have kicked her in the face and said, get lost, you sinful woman. But the woman knew that Jesus would not reject her. And and she knew that because of Well, we read just before our text, that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus loved sinners. He loved prostitutes. He loved tax collectors. He loved those who had wandered away from the Lord. Not that he loved their sin, but he loved the person so much. He was willing to take their sins, willing to take the sins of this prostitute on himself. He would be accountable. It would be on him. He would be reckoned to be a prostitute, to die for her, wash her clean it with his blood, and cause her to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Her faith in Jesus Christ was tremendous. And the Lord Jesus did not disappoint her. He said to her very clearly, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Indeed, we read in verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Now there's something else in our, our text that makes really clear that, that this woman was was done with her sinful past. We read in verse 37 that she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. We know from archaeology that these flasks were like a, a little, a little bulb with a very long thin neck on it. And then there would be a, a rope or a string that you could hang that around your neck. The, 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 the neck was so thin that the fragrant oil would just, just emit little, little puffs of beautiful fragrant smell. Now for a prostitute, this is part of your stock and trade. You had to smell beautiful. That was part of what she had to do to, to sell herself as, as a prostitute. But now she wants to anoint Jesus with this fragrant oil. You can't just turn the thing upside down and go like this. Only, only a drop or two will come out. So she breaks the neck, pours the contents on Jesus' feet. At that moment, you, you can't get the oil back in the bottle. You can't use that bottle anymore. But what does she care? She didn't need it. She didn't want that life. She didn't want to be a prostitute. She didn't want to be a sinner anymore. She wanted to be washed clean in the blood of Jesus Christ so that the prostitute is now the bride of Christ. Celebrate with him eternally the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, we might say, if I was like that woman, if I was a, a prostitute like her, I, I get it that you, you fling yourself at Jesus, you, you weep over his feet, your tears, you kiss those feet, and anointed with, with holy oil, precious oil. If I were like her, I would do that, but I am not like her. I'm not that kind of a sinner. I, I am a sinner, and uh, Jesus is my Savior, and I, I like him, I, I love him, But not like that sinful woman. Now, we might not say that out loud, and we might not even be articulating it in our brain, but deep inside, we might be thinking at this moment, I am nothing. Nothing like her. Well, 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 aren't we in for a surprise? Simon the Pharisee said, I'm nothing like her. But once we're done with him, we're going to ask the question, and who are we like? Are we anything like her? Do we need a Savior as much as she does? So we we come to our second point. Jesus and his interaction with Simon the Pharisee, he's nothing like the woman, nothing at all. He has no self-awareness. She's very self-aware of who she is as a sinner and needing Jesus. He doesn't think he's a sinner, and he doesn't need Jesus. And we see that in the way that he interacts with a woman with the Lord Jesus, and then with the parable that the Lord Jesus tells. Now we're probably wondering why Simon the Pharisee would even invite Jesus to his home for dinner, which is a very intimate, personal affair. Well, we read in verse 39 that Simon thinks to himself, this man, if he were a prophet. So you see that he's intrigued with Jesus. He gets it that he's somebody, He's heard that he's a prophet. He's heard that earlier that day, he raised a dead man, raised somebody from the dead. And in that report to John the Baptist, you know, Jesus says, look, I heal the lame. I give sight to the blind. I raise the dead. I preach good news to the poor. He was somebody. He not only preached in an amazing way, but he performed the most incredible miracles. And Simon the Pharisee was interested in checking this out because if, if if this was true, he might want to be part of the action. We're, we shouldn't be totally surprised by that. We know that that Nicodemus the Pharisee came to the Lord Jesus at night in John 3. We also know that after Pentecost, there were a lot of Pharisees who repented and embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But... Simon the Pharisee, who may initially have been intrigued with Jesus, quickly dispelled any notion that Jesus was a somebody and he recognized in his own mind that Jesus was a fraud. He says there, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." Now, now we see that Simon the Pharisee is both thinking of the woman and Jesus in this sentence. As far as he's concerned, this woman can go to hell. I'm not exaggerating. You know, the, the, the Pharisees, you know what Jesus said too? He looked at the people and said, these are, these are sheep without shepherd. Instead of the Pharisees, they, they, they lead the people in their blindness. This woman did not deserve to be in the presence of the Pharisee. She was done. She was finished. She does not belong to the people of God. We're pretty shocked to hear that. I'm sure that the Pharisees could be so heartless and so cold, ready to send people to hell just like that. But it does also remind us to think a little carefully of people around us. You know, in a congregation, you can have uh, people who maybe have been involved in some financial irregularity that cost other people money. There may have been sexual misbehavior, even some abuse, or someone's done tremendous damage to himself and his family because of uh, addiction to alcohol or drugs. And while we say, yeah, you repent and you're a member of the congregation, just somehow feel, we might feel that they are a little less, less deserving, and we wonder, is there a place in heaven for people like that? That's certainly the attitude of Simon the Pharisee. He wrote that woman off. He writes sinners off. And as for Jesus, you're a phony, you're a fraud, because you don't even know what kind of person this, 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 this woman is. You don't understand that I, a Pharisee, i am a righteous man. That woman is a sinner, and she can go out the door. Now, what the Lord Jesus Christ does to Simon the Pharisee is, is challenge his way of thinking, his lack of self-awareness, that he doesn't understand that he's just as much a sinner as anybody else, and just as needing of Jesus as Lord and Savior. You could say that, that, that Jesus is trying to get Simon the Pharisee to think outside the box. The Pharisaical box of self-righteousness and, and deser- deserving salvation. So it is at this point that Jesus Christ tells a parable. The parable is of, uh, um, someone who loans money and he's, he's lent money to two people. And uh the point is that neither of these two people could pay the money back. And in those days, if you owed debt and didn't pay it back, you were going to debtor's prison. And your wife and children basically went into slavery. Serious matter. In today's terms, let's say that what we're talking about here is one person owes 500000 the other owes 50000 And let's say it's a, a mortgage on your your home. But if you can't pay... You're in trouble, but it's fifty thousand five hundred if you can't pay your mortgage, you're going to lose your home. you're going to be on the street, and you have a hard time ever buying a home again because your credit rating is shot, and that's why it's so so beautiful to read in, a, in this parable that Jesus tells that the, the the money lender the the guy who gives the money, he clears the debt of both people five hundred thousand gone, fifty thousand gone, debt, debt cleared you would say, well, uh, the sinful woman, she's the bigger debtor, and the Pharisees, the smaller debtor, he, he owes less debt. because You know, he is a, a righteous, holy man, upstanding member of the church and the community. Indeed, Jesus says to Simon, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus approves of that answer by saying, you have judged rightly. There's a certain logic here that the more money you owe, and it's forgiven, the more thankful you would be. I mean if someone forgives your fifty thousand debt, that's amazing. But five hundred thousand, half a million dollars, you're gonna be so much more appreciative. But that logic fails. Because in the parable of Jesus, neither could pay their debt. Doesn't matter how much you owe. It could be five dollars, it could be five billion dollars, doesn't matter. If you can't pay, then you are in deep, deep trouble. We all understand that the debt that we're talking about here is the debt of sin. And I don't care if you got a million sins or one sin. That's enough to condemn you. It's enough to put us in hell. But that woman, that sinful woman, She knew she had debts. She knew she was a sinner. She came to Jesus, and he washed her clean in his blood. He forgave her sins. She was so deeply thankful. But Simon the Pharisee didn't even know he had debts. There's nothing to be thankful for. And he is in deep, deep trouble. And it is at this point that Jesus turns away from Simon the Pharisee He looks at the woman, he's talking about the woman, but he's talking about her to Simon the Pharisee. He's still working on him. And he says to him in verses 44 through 46, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Now, to our modern ears, this this sounds mighty strange. like Washing feet, kissing, anointing with with oil. I I can tell you, in over 40 years in the ministry and making visits, nobody ever kissed me. Nobody ever put fragrant oil on me. And nobody washed my feet, not even once. Of course, this is culture. And this is culture of 2,000 years ago. And I'll try to take a few examples to, to show what Jesus was saying, what he would probably say today in, in our culture. And take this, this lack of feet washing. We already said earlier, you walk around in open sandals, Jesus' feet were dirty. And who know what he stepped in? And how badly they, they, they stank. You know, it's, it's such a relief. To, to have your feet washed before you sit down, recline at dinner. But Simon the Pharisee didn't show him that kind of kindness and respect. That would be something like a new member of the congregation saying to me, look, I live downtown in a condo. I'm inviting you over for supper. Here's the address. Well, I get there, and I find there's no parking. And I'm circling for 20 minutes trying to find a parking spot, and it's like a kilometer away. Why didn't you tell me that? It's just a lack of respect. It's like you don't really care about me or, or, or what I'm going through. That's how Simon was acting to, to Jesus. And the lack of a kiss. Well, a kiss in those days was a, a way of expressing friendship. It'd be like me coming to the person's door, and I'm, I'm happy to be there. I put out my hand for a handshake, and he puts his hands behind his back. That ruins the whole evening. I know he's rejecting me. He won't even shake my hand. And that lack of oil, that'd be like coming into the condo and the place reeks. It stinks. Old garbage is spilling out of the garbage bin. It's a gross place to be. Again, brothers and sister. it's just a lack of respect. You know, being inhospitable and not caring. And that's what Simon the Pharisee was doing to, the, to Jesus. He was intrigued. He wanted to check him out. He wasn't going to wash his feet, which stank. He wasn't going to give him a kiss, which you do as friends. He wasn't going to give him some ointment, which would make things smell better. He really didn't like Jesus. And you know when you don't like Jesus, it's because you don't know you're a sinner. You don't know that this is the Savior of the world. This is the one person who can deliver you and take you out of the dirt of sin, the debt of sin, and give you life everlasting. Jesus says in verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And we understand what that means is that the sinful woman knows she is a, a sinner. She's crying about it. Jesus forgives her, and she is eternally grateful. Simon the Pharisee says, I'm not a sinner. and I don't need Jesus. And he's in the dark. In fact, if he doesn't get out of this, he's in eternal darkness. You know, on the outside, Simon the Pharisee looked really good. Leader in the community, leader in the church. Everybody looked up to him and and respected him. But on the inside, he was dead. He looked good, but his soul smelled with his debts and the debt of his sin. And that's also, brothers and sisters, for us, uh, something to think about. You know, we're sitting here uh, this morning as a congregation, beautiful congregation, wonderful people. I can hear it in your singing. And, you know, we've got organists, we've got elders and deacons and people who are going to go to men's breath, all beautiful things. They are beautiful things. But at a certain point, none of that matters if you don't hit the nail on the head and get to the very heart of the matter. Who is Jesus to me? Do I love him? Do I adore him? Is he my life, my light? Because it's his blood that washes away sins. Everybody has to address that point and be clear what the answer is. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to us? And that brings us to our last point. The question will come up, who am I most like? All of us are going to ask, who am I more like? Or who would I like to be, Simon the Pharisee or the prostitute? I don't want to be the prostitute, please. I'd rather be, you know, Simon the Pharisee. I get these fancy dinners and I'm like, you know, the elite in society. But you know, brothers and sisters, you you don't want to be Simon the Pharisee because he still has the debt of sin. We have to be like the sinful woman and like the prostitute In, in two ways. First of all, like her, we know we are sinners. We have offended God every day with the things that we think, the things that we say, and the things that we do. And secondly, that we hang on to him. We believe in him. We embrace him as Lord and Savior who washes us in his blood and spirit. The prostitute wept over Jesus' fate. If I could go to Golgotha, and actually I go there a lot in my mind. But if I could go to Golgotha and see the Lord Jesus hanging there, his feet stained with blood and tears and dirt, I would kiss those feet too. My tears would pour over his feet. You know why? it should be me hanging on the cross. He's got all my debts on him. He bears those debts to liberate me, to set me free. Would you not weep over the feet of Jesus? Would you not kiss his feet? Would you not adore him for what he has done? We think of the parable again. In this parable, you have the money lender who lends two people money, and then he clears their debt; they're debt free. But somebody's not debt free. The money lender—he's got to cover all. He's out all this money. By now, we, we understand that the money lender is God the Father, and the debts are our sins—debts that we cannot clear, debts that we cannot pay off. There's nothing we can do. To, to atone for for our sins. And that's why God says, I'll clear your debt. And you know that when Adam and Eve sinned, right away God promised the seed of the woman, that's his own son, would come, crush the head of the serpent, at the cost of the bruising of his heel, which is his death on the cross of Golgotha. And throughout the Old Testament, that promise is repeated. In exquisite detail, for instance, in Isaiah 53, Where we read about Jesus Christ, surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions; He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. It's our wounds, our our sins that are put on Jesus Christ, and what a price! He paid, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. With his wounds, we are healed. We cannot underestimate that when God says, I'm going to clear your debt, what a cost to God the Father himself. This is his beloved son, the son that he adores, the one with whom he's pleased, and said, My son, will you go in the world, take all the debts, of the people that I have elected to salvation, and bear their load, bear their sin, bear their shame by your suffering and death on the cross. You know, when when that sinful woman came up behind Jesus Christ, weeping and kissing his feet and anointing his feet, she understood, she understood that Jesus Christ was going to clear her death, and that he would do that willingly this is the friend of tax collectors and sinners this is the man who would go to the cross for her this man would die for her sins pay for her sins and she utterly utterly believed in him and you know we said earlier i'm not like her if i were i would i would probably weep too Probably ball my eyes out because of my sins and fling myself, take a flying leap at Jesus Christ. But I'm not that kind of sinner, am I? You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ had his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. You call your brother an idiot, you're a murderer. I can look at the Ten Commandments and say, I'm not doing too bad, but the Lord Jesus Christ exposes me. He exposes every Christian so that I say, what am I? I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. There's no difference between that sinful woman. Maybe I haven't done the things she did, but I'm no different than her. I'm just as much a sinner as she is. And I need Jesus, to wash away those sins, to make me his bride. You know that woman in our text, the prostitute, right right now, at this moment, she is in heaven, in joy, celebrating the wedding feast of the Lamb. She is the beautiful bride of Jesus Christ. Pastor Simon the Pharisee, many did repent after Pentecost. For all we know, he repented, and he is there too. We, we don't know. That's open-ended. But what cannot be open-ended is our story. We cannot sit on the fence. We cannot say silly, horrible things like, I don't know how much I need Jesus. Brothers and sisters, respond to the word of God that we're also hearing this morning, and we'll hear again this afternoon. And say, Oh Lord, I weep because of the sinful things I've done. I need Jesus. I love Jesus. He's my savior. He makes me clean. And he washes me not with his tears, but with his blood. He kisses me and anoints me, not with oil, but with his Holy Spirit, so that we are now the beautiful, unblemished bride of our Lord Jesus Christ. To all who come to him. In a living faith. In confession of sins. We are the beautiful bride. Of Jesus Christ. Eternally. Amen.